Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people, whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Josh Nixon, content producer for Label Sessions. In this episode, Nick Sherrod of Label Sessions talks to Nick Scott. Nick is a leader in public and social innovation, leading initiatives at the Government of Canada before now heading Shift Flow Innovation and Design. With a passion for collaborative problem solving, Nick is dedicated to driving positive societal impact and inspiring the next generation of innovators. Nick, Sherrod that is, talks to him to find out more. Let's actually make a start. So Nick, it'd be lovely rather than me doing a hackneyed job of trying to introduce your story. I mean, uh, when you introduce yourself and what are you known for? So, you know, around these parts, so I live in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. It's the capital city of our province. Um, I've spent my career working in the social sector, in social innovation, in the academic sector with government and then inside government, both at the provincial and federal level and more recently uh, internationally. And uh, I think I'm probably known for open government and innovation around here, around these parts. And how have you found those different worlds or those different environments anyway, being in academia to being in government itself? How, how have you found what's different and what's the same across those spaces? Ah, yeah, there's so many similarities actually, but, um, yeah, I think all governments have their, their idiosyncrasies, uh, as well as all sectors. My role has always been in helping people help people, right? So in the social sector, it's about creating systems and processes and building a culture where people can deliver value and help people help others solve problems. Um, that's kind of the similar thing across the board, right? Whether you're in the social sector or you're in government, your role is to help people. Your role is to create value for the public. Your role is to help solve problems. And the way we go about that might differ uh, across organizations and sectors, but those are kind of, that's kind of the, the connecting tissue. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting framing because I guess you'll have been, well, I know you've been because of the academic background and things. If you go into kind of business schools or design schools and things to talk about innovation, it tends to be that people coming through those backgrounds have quite a view around policy and process and capability building and these kind of things. You're framing innovation very much as a people role, helping people do things. So do you think your, your approach is somewhat different than you see other people doing those kind of roles? Or do you think it's just kind of misunderstood in the way it's spoken about on the outside world? Oh, man, I feel like <clears throat> yes and no. Yes, in that I think sometimes we focus on on the thing. Like we want to do a, create something new. That's what we want to do. But we pay less attention to everything that is required to make that happen to like scale the new thing or to create something that actually works. And when you work inside government or even in the nonprofit sector, which is often funded by government. So it actually it replicates many of the same processes and it's kind of an extension of government in some ways. Um, you find that as much as you want to create the new thing and do things differently, you have to work backwards um, to the policy and you know, if the policy is preventing you from doing something or the process, the culture, the incentives, you know, so I feel like I, I kind of followed the cookie crumbs from being at the front line of service delivery in the social sector, being like, we need to do something better. And then when you try to do something better, you run into a barrier. So then you follow that and you follow that. And I followed it all the way into the central government. Okay. Interesting. But do you think 
but you you're more affected because you if you like haven't just done central government or something like you're back you've been in these different environments doing that then that helps you 100 percent, i think because you get exposed to many different perspectives and cultures like organizational cultures and and, and otherwise and um that can help you think differently about problems and about the ways of working i think you know our organizational structures and the ways we work are often taken for granted or treated as you know untouchable right we don't really often consider that there could be a different way of working and if we really want to get you know radically different outcomes we're not going to get them by working in the ways we've always worked. And so how do you, how do you do that? So one of the things without going fully into my high paint, uh, kind of, uh, backstories, one of the things that is interesting is you've been one in these different types of organizations, but you've also been in a role, which is explicitly the innovation role, being the kind of innovation leader in, a, in an organization. And one of the two times, I think the first time someone's had the innovation job title in the organization that you're, that you're in. So. How did you find that experience and what advice would you have for other people that might be in that position of being the innovation person in an organization that hasn't had one in the past? Oh, I love that question. You know, because I've been referred to as like uh, the pet Sisyphus of government, where you're just like the job is just to roll the, the boulder up the hill, guys, <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. Um, but and, and and that is sometimes true. It's because you create we create these titles, right? Whether it's you know chief digital officer, chief experience officer, chief innovation officer, uh, and then that's pretty where well it, where it ends. You know we don't fully resource the work. Um, we may give a mandate, but we don't back it up. We may give money, but no mandate. And so um i would say first thing is whoever's doing the hiring and the creation of the position needs to take into consideration that there's a larger piece of work it's not just hiring one person or a small team um and if you find yourself in that position where you are a chief officer of let's change the way we do things then um i found bootstrapping works really well i feel like taking that entrepreneurial approach uh works really well because when i found myself um, as the executive director of open government and innovation uh with no budget but i had a mandate from the executive council office what i did was i just started small right and i think like we take that for granted i because when your job is transformation you kind of want to like operate at scale immediately um and and that's probably what I would have done with the budget. I, and in some ways I kind of appreciate the constraint that I had, which forced me to start at the very beginning of, all right, let's see how we might, you know, improve people's innovation and design literacy in government and start to draw, you know, create a pull and a demand for the work. And that worked really well. We ended up actually scaling quite rapidly. Whereas I think if we started with the big thing, it can uh, kind of collapse in on itself. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really interesting. It's interesting. I think it'd be interesting people to hear you use the word bootstrapping within a public sector context, because I guess you're, so really you're kind of using the mandate to generate demand from people who might not know. When they, at the point you land, they don't know that they want a new way of doing things or a new approach, but you're, you're kind of creating something that creates a, a sort of magnetic 
Is that, is that what you mean by bootstrap? That's right. With, with no money. <laughs> right. Right. And so, yeah, you, I mean, I think others who are, who have been in similar positions in any kind of organizational transformation and in the public sector where the, the scale is just enormous, um, you could, you may find yourself in a situation where the top level of the organization wants to see a certain change. So you have the mandate and then you find the frontline and, and, and the folks who are in delivery also want to see a change. Uh, but somehow they're not aligning. And so the bootstrapping, that constraint that I had, um, forced me to actually, actually work more with, um, the, the lower levels of the organization and middle management to generate that, that demand and bring them into the same room together. And I think, I think without that constraint, I may not have done that. It's interesting. I've find i'm going to play this back to you because it's a theory but you may think it's wrong but it's interesting in terms of quite often one of the things that's attractive about innovation roles to lots of people is that they are quite unconstrained as job specs it's kind of they can look across the organization but actually the people that are successful in doing them tend to put the discipline of constraint around themselves but like it sounds like you have and says instead of like okay okay so i don't have a big budget so i'm going to find ways of proving things really small in a way that will generate demand so actually your day-to-day -day work was quite constrained because you put that limit on yourself. It's an interesting shift. Yeah. And then you, you end up creating a movement within the organization. And I think this is where my background in social movements was really helpful to me uh, in that, you know, these things don't happen, you know, as like a, like a revolutionary thing. It there's, there's like an organizing, there's a relationship building, you know, there's education, there's, there's, trying new things uh and, and creating that space i think was really powerful that's an interesting thing can you bring that to life a little bit because i guess the, i guess the counter argument would be so if i dropped into most mba programs i've gone and spoken to um and they took on this thing of maybe introducing innovation capability or design thinking like you spoke about before their kind of standard approach would be right i'm going to create um the big book of how we do design thinking in this company. I'm going to go and get the chief exec to allocate a budget and I'm going to roll out a managed change program over the next 24 months. And I think what you're saying is that's the wrong approach, but what's the other approach? Well, what's the, what's the alternative way of doing it? I think that there are elements of what you just said that you have to do. You know, I think that what you're describing in some ways could be seen as creating the infrastructure for the change, right? Whether like it's the policy, well, you know, it's, it's obviously the resourcing, it's, it's all of that, um, the direction, the prioritization, et cetera. You need that kind of mission oriented, uh, innovation, but you also need the bottom up innovation as well. You need, it's not just about implementing or pushing a change on the organization that you're in. You need to, um, help it's, it's really more about adoption than anything. Cause you, what you're asking is for people to adopt new behaviors new tools, new ways of doing. Your uh, history, well, one of the things I want to draw out here is actually one of the job titles you had, which clearly has innovation in the role. It also has open government. And I think that's understood in some parts of the world and others not so much. So tell us about open government, what that means and what that meant you were doing in practice. So open government, uh, the way that I define it is that it's uh, a government that is transparent, which I think most people understand that as being open government, as in it's a government that pushes information and data out to the world. So 
this is what we have. This is how we do things. So it's just, you can, you can take a look inside and see how it's working. Um, but it's also participatory in that it's engaging the outside world in the work, right? It's pulling in information and data to make better decisions and build better programs and, and create better uh, policies. The third and more difficult part, but I think this is where the magic happens, is a collaborative government, a government that sort of extends its capabilities and capacity to non-government actors, right? To civil society, to academia, private sector, uh, obviously, um, and, and in collaborative ways works to solve big problems and, and create public value. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentoring, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. Yes, yeah, an interesting thing. So, in, and, 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 and in terms of building that more collaborative model of, of government, I mean, that's a quite a fundamental shift in technology around data and things, some aspects of that, but also in terms of culture and the way people think, you know, what, what, what were some of the big challenges you had taking on that kind of mandate? Yeah, I mean, that, that actually started for me um, when I was working at the university because yeah. I was running an organization called the Social Policy Research Network, which, you know, sounds kind of boring uh, on its surface, but the <laughs> mission of the network was actually to advance a networked governance approach to uh, okay. government and, and, and public engagement. And it was actually there that we found the, the real challenge of, you know, government doesn't habitually collaborate with in itself, uh -huh. let alone with the outside world. We're, we're, we're used to government consulting, right? Uh -huh. We're used to government asking for opinions, you know, public opinion surveys and these types of things. But when it comes to actually having the civil service or the public service working with folks from the outside in meaningful ways, uh, it doesn't really happen. Uh -huh. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. We speak a different language. We have, you know, we kind of have different backgrounds, um, different incentives, et cetera, et cetera. And what we realized was we need to create space and a practice for facilitating that kind of collaboration, mm -hmm. um, which is where, which is how we got into this world of uh, public and social innovation labs okay, uh, and social labs. And so we created a new lab, which was the first public and social innovation lab in the province uh, to start to build that practice. So that you bring people together and rather than you know, allow them to default to their habitual ways of working. You have to facilitate them through it. You have to coach them through it to learn a new thing that really connects with, um, my own kind of theory of change, uh, which is that what we practice, we become. And so if you can create space for people to practice in new and meaningful ways, uh, they will, that will change the way they do things in their, in their everyday life. That's, I was glad you came out to theory of change there. It, it must be an interesting leadership challenge as well. So do you think there's something I've had limited experience, some experience of this myself. I've seen it in other people. I think one of the things that's really hard or challenging to lead is to lead people to collaborate better. Because in some ways, that's something you can't solve. You can't do the thing. You can't do the thing for them. If it's just about executing something, you can maybe find a way to execute faster and you can solve the problem. It's something that's about how people collaborate. I mean, how did you find yourself? I mean, there must be some big barriers you face into at various times. How do you kind of, how do you, how do you, so how, how do you practice that so that you can be it? Of course. I'm, I think um, 
kind of back to the social movement side of things and uh and even even the diffusion of innovation theories these things helped me work through a lot of those barriers when i started applying and thinking about the rogers diffusion of innovation curve you know this curve that um basically uh demonstrates how technologies are diffused throughout society um you have the the smallest portion of the group are innovators and then you have early adopters who want to be part of the innovation story. And when I started thinking about it in that way, it aligns very well with uh, social movements, uh, different social movement ways of thinking. Um, that helped me avoid trying to, to, to scale big right away and just kind of cr creating the space for innovators and early adopters to work together to model new ways of doing, you know, to adopt new practices so that they can show that early majority right the value of doing the thing because the early majority won't come on board until they see something has value right the late majority doesn't come on board until they have support to do it so if you don't have the infrastructure in your organization uh you're not going to get them you're not going to get the change that uh, that you desire so that was that was kind of my theory going in how i address the barriers um i mean one of the biggest barriers was taking the time to do the necessary work up front, right? Because if you want to change the way people work together, that's that's scaling deep. That's that's you know challenging things that people don't think about <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis. Giving them time to think and reflect, do reflect together, um, is often seen as waste. I would think in in certainly in the public sector and large organizations. Yeah. And so I often have likened it to, you know, uh, building a skyscraper, you know, somebody who doesn't know anything about building a skyscraper asks you to build a skyscraper and in their mind, they're thinking you have to go high, you're going up and they come in to check on the work site and you're going down. You're like, that's not, that's not the direction we're supposed to be going in. Why are you digging down? And it's like, well, because the higher you want to go, the deeper we have to dig. Right. And this work, I feel like when it comes to innovation or just changing, you know, organizational culture uh, requires that deep work and making time to build that foundation so that you can uh, achieve the height that you're, you're aiming for. Um, it's, it's difficult to find that time. So you just find it in small ways, I think. It's interesting. I've got, we should, I want to talk more about your yeah, personal development as a, as a leader at shift flow and things in a second. There's just one thing that why not? It's interesting maybe bringing some of the international dimension to this in terms of, obviously, there's a Canada story around open government and changing institutions. Um, in the UK, there's an interesting time. So we just had a former prime minister saying public sector can't innovate. Uh, we actually had trusts and foundations abolishing themselves rather than try to reform themselves anymore. It seemed like fairly chase story. In terms of with this open government agenda in Canada, is your sense that if this already gains traction, you'll be able to reform the institutions that, that are there? Or do you think eventually you kind of have to create new ones to be genuinely collaborative? Or is it too early to tell? Is it still, do we need to sort of experiment for a while first? Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah, my, I would say we have to experiment uh, some more first. And, you know, it, it may be possible to create those new institutions within the old, right? And sort of within the shell of the old. Um, and I think that's kind of what we have to do and how we have to do it. We shouldn't actually be completely reforming our institutions. Like, you know, 
I think that that our institutions deserve uh, a level of, of respect and care um, because they're really about stability. And so the way in which we figure out how to do things differently, how to restructure them needs to be experimental. It needs to be um, start with, you know, safe to fail experiments. Um, and it needs to be treated more as an organism, you know, than, than the machine that just needs to have its parts switched out. Uh, which is why I kind of gravitate more to the sort of social movement side of things. It's like, cause we're talking about people at the end of the day. Quite an organic uh, kind of approach. Organic. Yeah. Fascinating. So you've gone through that whole journey of kind of reforming institutions, building movements, and then you're going into this thing of setting up your own agency and operation in, in Shiftflow. So tell me about that journey. Just what made you take the step of setting up your, your own, your, your, your own place. Uh, and then how have you found that journey so far? The thing that really motivated me to start this journey is is my experience inside government, as well as working with government for, for those five years pre uh, previous. Um, on the inside, you get a different perspective on this bureaucratic indifference that citizens often uh, face when they're trying to get something done in their lives. Um, and what, And you can see why it's happening. And it's much larger than any individual. And so, you know, my whole career, as you know, has been about serving the public, serving people. How do we figure out how to do that better um, so that people can live their best and fullest lives? And um, and so I was motivated to start Shift Flow to help these organizations find ways of creating more uh, life-affirming programs and services. And, and how do you start to realign your organization in order to, to do that? Um, at, a, at a lesser, at a lower level, you know, for the user, I'm thinking, I want Shift Flow to be the team I needed when I got that huge mandate in the government. You know, when, 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 you're, when you're handed this transformational mandate, and perhaps with very little budget or perhaps very little direction, because the reality is nobody really knows how to do this, um, I want to build that team that, that I would have needed uh, to accelerate uh, my, my program. Yeah, make, make things happen quicker. It's a, really, it's a really interesting thing. So tell me, what are you kind of excited about just now? I mean, this could be wicked problems that you think are just really worth solving, or it could be opportunities that you're, that you're spotting in different places. What are you, what are you excited about when you, when you walk in? Or walk over, up to your desk at least. <laughs> it's it's always it's always wicked problems. Okay. First of all, I, I you know and and this movement towards mission oriented innovation, I'm I'm really hopeful that more and more governments, larger enterprises are going to start uh, adopting this approach uh, to help you know a diver like diverse and distributed actors start aligning themselves around around solving these problems. Um, and I really think that the heart of solving these big problems is helping organizations transform. You know, I think this is the, that MESO level that we can start to address to help organizations improve their capability of, of solving some of these intractable problems and mm -hmm. just being more adaptable uh, to changes in the environment. And so this is, this is sector agnostic. Okay. Um, so I'm really, I'm really uh, excited about that. And as far as shift flow is concerned, I'm really excited about marrying uh, social technologies with dig digital technologies and design okay. uh, to achieve this work. Do, do you see, is it a happy marriage, like in a mission, mission orientation 
in institutions and the kind of social movement stuff you've said in the past, you see that quite naturally coming together. Absolutely. I mean, this is the, this is the sort of the, the, the North star kind of approach, right. And if, and if we can sort of train our, our uh, focus on that, and then it becomes easier to organize. So the now comes to the bit in these in the Labour Sessions Presents podcast where I need to ask you some quite random rapid fire questions that hope, hopefully get us to know you a little bit better in different ways. Yeah, for people who are just listening to the audio, he just took a swig of water there just to prepare himself <laughs> for some help to come. So I mean, the first one up is an easy one though, but uh, where do you go to feed your brain creatively? Ooh, oh man. <laughs> easy but, but deep. Yeah, right off the top of my head is actually LinkedIn, funny enough. Like I'm just... You know, that's kind of the easiest, lowest barrier thing, just consuming. Uh, I have a really amazing feed of really amazing network of people who are just sharing the coolest stuff all the time. It took me a while to realize this. LinkedIn is actually really good if you get rid of all the annoying people. This is the, this is, this is takes a while to hey, really you curate cu- your feed. Cur- curate that network. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Number two, this one is what do you think in the world is overhyped right now? Oh my gosh. Um, there's always something, isn't there? I, th- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, there's lots of stuff going around just now, but is there anything, maybe, maybe you don't see it because you got rid of all the assholes on your, on your feet, but like, is there anything you keep popping up? <laughs> oh man. I mean, the metaverse was certainly overhyped. Um, and I want to say AI is overhyped and in certain, it, I guess it depends on what you're reading, yeah. but I think like uh, some, in, in some pockets, I'm like, you're not paying enough attention to this. And then other pockets I'm saying you know, you're overhyping this thing. Yeah, that makes sense. So you've led lots of change, actually in some pretty tough organizations that you don't have to like name any, but some of them look quite hard in terms of making change happen. Um, what tips would you give to leaders who are trying to make a big change happen? Oh, this is a great one. I, For me, what I learned in the past is is it's all about networks. Um, and again, the Rogers innovation curve really helped me kind of in a Zen way helped me uh, figured how do you start small and work to be- work together to finish big. Uh, and I think starting small is probably the biggest thing. I think you need to appreciate the small and systems change and the innovation diffusion curve really helped me. So it's at all levels of the organization, find those innovators and early adopters and convene them as frequently as you can um to start showing the way okay show don't tell show don't tell yeah very nice um so i, I can't imagine because you're so affected but sometimes it might be that you're procrastinating at some point in your working day uh which website did we find you on procrastinating yeah um okay well i already said linkedin what website do you find me on procrastinating? But maybe it is linkedin maybe linkedin is just giving you all the goodness but also the distraction just give me all the goodness yeah yeah but i feel like that's that's kind of like I'm usually finding something that I can apply to my work. Um, any any website talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I am a sucker for. Really? It, yeah. If you want to find me procrastinating, it's me learning a bunch of stuff that is useless about the Marvel Cinematic. Is universe. it really useful? Useless though? Maybe it's um, maybe it's inspiring you in some way. You know, a superhero. <laughs> well. <laughs> You know, I, I, I certainly put my, my partner to sleep uh, and I don't think she wants to watch any more movies with me because I'm like, here's a fact. But the metaphor of the cinematic universe and also how the production teams created that universe for the cinema, the, so much, so much to learn there. 
I think you might go on to this next one. That's the second last one. But what do you do when you're not working? When I'm not working? I'm always finding a way to work, I guess, because I'm, I'm working it into the cinematic universe. No, when I'm not working, I'm spending time with my kids. You know, we're, we're hiking, camping, spending time by any body of water, lake, ocean, river, whatever. Um, uh, or we're playing some kind of sport. We're really okay. into uh, baseball, international football, and uh, golf uh, more recently, which I'm terrible at. Okay, just take and, a while to get uh, good. In the winter, yeah, Fortnite. Oh, okay, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all very public spirited. Then it turns into shooting people online. So you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's really good stuff. Yeah. Really good stuff. <laughs> okay, and then the final question, and this is a simple question, but what I do find is with people after we've asked it, your answers to this will live with you and will come to you tomorrow morning. So I don't, I don't you know, we've built up to it, but it's the last one. Thank you. Uh, on a Thank scale you. of one to ten, mm-hmm. how weird are you? Nice. Oh yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, it's relative, isn't it? But I'll I'll go with an eight. Okay, quite high. Yeah, quite yeah, high. Definitely. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. If we want to, you know, later do do a, a sequel, you know, I can move the needle a little bit on my weirdness. Well, I hadn't thought about that. Actually, that's the thing. We should come back to these interviews a year later and go on as, as, as the year makes you more or less weird. It's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We can find out what the factors are and maybe, you know, yeah, yeah. Some, kind of, some kind of analysis on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast no matter your platform of choice. And of course, start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com.